You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, hello again, everyone. This is, in fact, Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Uh, We have uh, a breaking news podcast today on (laughs) What the Dev, our ST Times podcast. Uh, With me today is Liran Hamovich. He's the co-founder and CTO at a um, debugging company uh, based in Israel called Rookout. Uh, Laron, thanks for being with us today. Hey, Davey. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so we can get uh, right into the breaking news, which uh, is timed around KubeCon, which is next week. Uh, and uh, it's about a new debugging experience for Kubernetes. Let's hear about it. Yeah, so at Rookout, we've been focusing on making debugging possible across all environments, whether it's cloud, Kubernetes, even production. And one of the biggest challenges we've seen for our customers, especially in Kubernetes, is that as engineers write code, they don't actually know where it's running. There's so many layers of abstraction, whether it's Kubernetes namespaces, deployments, pods, containers, clusters, regions, zones. I mean, I think half the software engineers out there don't even know what all of those mean. And at the end of the day, all they care about is I wrote a piece of code, I have a bug, whether it's a bug report from a customer or an exception being thrown in the logs. I just want to go and see what my code is doing. And we've built this new experience that empowers engineers to visualize the, the running Kubernetes environments and make it possible to for them to walk in their own terms, making it possible for them to think about not Kubernetes, not deployments, just visualize for them their code, their Git repositories, and drill down to a specific line of code in a specific environment without having to wade through all those abstractions which are operational and important, but are not so much their business. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense and would seem to make things easy. One of, one of the things that we're hearing a lot about in terms of Kubernetes adoption is that complexity and all mm-hmm. of those abstraction layers and how people can deal with that. So while certainly uh, you know, using containers and container deployment systems seems to be uh, the future because you can deal with microservices and plug in and plug out very quickly, the complexity of these systems now is really what's creating the challenge. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. I think the cloud in general and cloud native technologies, such as Kubernetes in particular, have made distributed computing and active-active deployment uh, common, very, very common. In the past, you had just, you know, SaaS companies, Amazon, Google, they were doing those kind of fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was just buying bigger servers. And now everybody gets access to those fancier technologies and fancier paradigms, but that also comes with a lot of complexity. Mm. And our focus is trying to help software engineers handle that complexity, handle and handle the bugs that you often derive from that. Mm -hmm. Right. I know this is what, I think maybe the fifth or sixth KubeCon now that's coming Mm -hmm. up this year. Uh, and uh, it's just getting bigger and bigger. We've uh, attended in person when we were able to uh, a couple <laughs> of years back and, you know, big crowd. So clearly people are interested in it. Um, so what are, what are pr- the primary challenges people are facing when they're trying to, uh, you know, implement a system that I- includes Kubernetes? 
I think the most common challenge we're seeing, speaking with customers, seeing with engineers out there, is that level of complexity. I mean, in the past, software engineers would just run a CLI tool on their machine and get a server running. Mm-hmm. And then in production, it would be pretty much the same thing, only bigger. You would run the same CLI tool, but run it on a bigger server, more calls, more memory. It's the same. Today, when you run your take your code to production, you have it running in a container. And even if you have the same container, the same operating system on your machine, uh, it's not the same because this ta- in product in dev you'll probably have one instance. In production, you'll have many. You're gonna have production grade data or real customer data that you can't access for security reasons. You're gonna have the service mesh, and it's becoming harder and harder for engineers to predict what's gonna happen in production due to the sheer complexity of those environments. And as engineers love, as operational engineers, SRE love adopting Kubernetes because it helps them shrink down the complexity of the cloud and make things more manageable. We also need to make sure to empower the individual software engineers who write code for those platforms to have a great developer experience as they're doing so. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, um, so tell me a little bit specifically about the product release today and um, you know what uh, what um, you're hoping to get out of that and, and offer to the developer community. So the product release is actually two big announcements we're making today. The first is, as I mentioned, we're making it much easier to visualize and understand Kubernetes. Uh, we're enabling ing- engineers to see it cluster but see it from the, their perspective, from the code perspective. So they can see uh, which Git repositories are deployed, how many instances each of them have, how are they grouped into applications, deployments, namespaces, and so on. So they can come to terms with how the code is running and easily uh, zero in on the specific instances they care about. And that's kind of the first announcement. The second announcement is that we're bringing live debugging to Golang. Now, Golang is becoming a major powerhouse, and everybody who's moving to the cloud is interested in it, especially infrastructure engineers, but everybody who wants high-performance code and reach very high scale, large concur- very high concurrency. Golang is amazing. I think one of the benefits of Golang is that it compares to uh, native code, it, you can you if you build an elf out of it and you can just run it on Linux and this makes it very easy to operate it makes it very efficient and in many ways it's much lighter and easier than virtual machines such as JVM or .NET but it makes the produced binary much harder to instrument much harder to debug and traditionally getting observability into those environments is much harder and today we are launching our GoLang production debugger that mm-hmm. allows you to set breakpoints, non-breaking breakpoints on any line of code within a running Golang app and see individual values in individual variables. You can see the stack trace. You can see anything within your running environment without having to stop, uh, without having to cry your GDB or delve or anything else that's, mm-hmm. that's going to break the application. Mm-hmm. And now we've been, we have had that capability for a while for a compiled but inter- and interpreted languages such as uh, Java, C Sharp, Python, Ruby, and JavaScript. But now we finally managed to bring that capability to native runtimes, starting with Golang. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, my understanding of Golang is that it's um, you know uh, designed to help people uh, 
write or or uh, create APIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, certainly in today's complex development world, so many applications are based on calling out to other services uh, and not writing that code themselves. So is your tool uh, talking about that kind of thing where you can actually debug uh, an API call, for mm-hmm. instance, and, and see how that goes? Exactly. So Golang is amazing for web scale development, for API development, because it allows you to very efficiently, very easily write the code, get what you need, get all the benefits of static run, run languages, and still get amazing concurrency with a great runtime right out of the box. You don't have to think too much about optimizing the code once it's written. Chances are it's going to work great right out of the box. Mm-hmm. But uh, once the, the code has been compiled to native runtimes, instrumenting it is much harder. It's harder to trace it. It's harder to debug it. And Rookout allows you to do just that. Click on a line of code and see the variable values. Click on a line of code and create a metric on the fly to know how many times it's called every second. So you can know if you, for instance, if you have an API, you can know how many times it's being called. Is it being successful? Does it have an error? And you can be very agile about it. The vision of Rookout is all about dynamic observability, allowing to define in real time the data you need for observability, the data you need to understand your application, and then use that information in as you and just get it. Define in real time what you need, get the data, and move on. You don't have to always plan ahead about what data I'm going to need a week from now, a year from now, or a decade from now. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. So I don't know if our listeners know that you... Uh, actually uh, also have a podcast. It's kind of interesting to be talking about a podcast on a podcast. (laughs) But uh, yours is called The Production First Mindset. And so uh, talk to me a little bit about how that was conceived and and, uh, certainly the fact that it's resonating with many people. It happens to be Mm -hmm. a a very popular uh, podcast. So uh, tell me a little bit about it. So over the past few years, as we've been working with Rookout, working very closely with many of our customers, we've seen a huge divide. We've seen the divide between engineers who write the code and the engineers who operate it. And as much as we like to talk about DevOps and Agile and Shift Left, there is still a huge gap. And one of the biggest gaps we've seen, I think we've mentioned it early on in Kubernetes, around Kubernetes, is that tooling for production and paradigms and the methodologies for production are very SRE-focused, very DevOps-focused, very Ops-focused. Those are the people who operate in production. Those are the people who so-called own production. Mm-hmm. And everything is around them. And we're just not seeing enough about getting developers to care and, op- and own what's happening in production. I mean, some technologies, such as some paradigms, such as shift left in security or quality, are about get the developers to do the right thing in the mm-hmm. beginning, kind of shift left, get them to get security right, get them to get quality right, and avoid getting it, uh, avoid having to fix it later on as things go wrong. But occasionally things will go wrong. You're going to have problems in production, and you want engineers to understand that. You want engineers to think about that. You want them to write code that's going to be better, code that's going to be easier to operate once it's production. You want them to be able to be empowered that once things go wrong, they will be notified about it, they're going to care about it, they're going to have the tools and techniques to fix it. Right. And that's kind of what we're discussing in the production-first mindset. It's about every aspect that's about running your code in production. I mean, 
so much about technology and programming is about just the code itself and kind of developing it in a lab. And this podcast is all about the aspect that you have to think about once the code moves from the lab to production. It can be about a security, it can be about availability, performance, it can be about cost, it can be about quality, observability, and all of those things matter. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how much more can we shift left onto developers before their heads explode and they just throw their hands up in the air and go, I don't even have time to write code anymore. All I'm doing is testing and making sure it's following, uh, you know, policies and it's secure. And, you know, doesn't that hurt innovation ultimately if we're putting all this stuff on developers? So I think that's that question is a few aspects to it. One of them, I remember I interviewed one, a friend from monday.com a couple of weeks ago and she said that for her that was what's so exciting at monday being able to do more than just write code being Mm -hmm. owner owning it end to end and i think part of it is about both education on the one hand and tooling on the other just like we expected developers in the past to manage their memory and not have memory leaks they don't have to do that anymore. We've managed to create better tooling for that. And most developers out there don't care about ensuring their code don't ha- doesn't have memory leaks because the runtime takes care of that. Mm-hmm. Just And as we shift away some responsibility, there is definitely more they can take. And at the same time, we always have to think, how do we do better? How do we create more secure runtime, more quality runtime? How do we give them better tools so that we can shift left the burden even further left from the developers to the infrastructure, to the machines, and kind of make it easier for them. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, you know, people, I guess, when the term DevOps first came out, thought it was going to be this kumbaya moment of developers Mm. and IT sides holding hands, working together, whatever, where it just seems to be that everything now is moving to developers to make it possible for them, as you say, to own the code from, you know, writing the first line of it to making sure it's uh, secure and it's stable. And, you know, if there's a problem, they can be notified right away and fix it. So kind of they're kind of taking over the operations role a little to mm-hmm. to some degree. So we've seen some movement of the no, no ops movement. I think that's... Interesting, but it's a bit of misconception. Ops are there. They're mm-hmm. just doing something else. Then they're not stacking servers into racks anymore. Right. Right. You're, you have you have ops. Sometimes it's easy enough using those advanced tools that people can do it in their so-called spare time. And right. I, you can see some people, uh, individual founders, sometimes running application with tens of thousands of users right. because ops is becoming easier. For, is for some use cases. Mm-hmm. For other use cases, ops can be still very hard, very complex. And you're just seeing people doing other kind of ops, maybe right. at larger scales, maybe more mm-hmm. complex, but I mean, ops isn't going anywhere. Right. All right. Well, that's good to know. And by the way, if you can find somebody who has spare time, let me know. I'd like to talk to that person <laughs> and figure out how they do that. <laughs> because Definitely. I know I don't have any. But anyway... Uh, so yes, uh, to our listeners, you definitely should check out the Production First Mindset uh, podcast by uh, Laurent Himovich. Again, he's the co-founder and CTO at Rookout, the debugging company based in Israel. And 
so until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times, and I will say so long for now. And thanks, Larry, and thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Okay. Take care, everyone. <laughs>